the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Welcome to the podcast. Very pleased to bring on Bill Karagunas. Thank you, Bill, for joining us from Seattle. Hello, Paul. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Now, to start with, maybe you can give us a little bit of an intro of where you fit in in Microsoft, because you're responsible for a fair bit there around Windows, right? Yes, that's correct. Um, so, Bill Kerrigan is, uh, I'm what's known as a Program Management Director of Engineering. Um, I am responsible for um, what we refer to as the Windows Insider Program. Um, which many uh, folks are part of, as well as all of the systems behind it, so the systems that deliver builds to insiders, uh, the feedback systems that deliver all of that as well. They give um, insiders and other folks in the world the opportunity to sort of give us feedback on our products as we're developing them. Um, but I'm also responsible for um, operating system, battery life, performance, uh, reliability, um, compat, um, and um, the setup processes, the stuff that, you know, once the once Windows update basically sort of signals, hey, this machine is ready for an update, um, the actual infrastructure that sort of makes that update, you know, that sort of essentially puts it down on a machine and makes sure that it all works, as well as, you know, rollback technologies, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, there's a few little bits and pieces <laughs> that I and my actually we ha- I have two peers. There's you know myself, uh, the director of development. Her name is Laura Butler, and the director of quality for our team. His name is Bombo Shofala. Um, and between the three of us, we you know are sort of wholly responsible for all those areas. Wow. Okay. Well, that's uh, that, that's quite a job. Before we sort of get into talking about those things, I'm interested, obviously I recognise your Australian accent, I'm interested how you end, ended up based with uh, Microsoft in, in Seattle, what's your what's your background with oh, this yeah. world of technology? Okay, yes, you picked Aussie and that's what I am, uh, Aussie boy, born and bred in Sydney, Australia, um, I joined Microsoft as a consultant uh, back in 1995. I was part of the Sydney operation um, in consulting. Uh, so I used to spend a lot of time working with banks and uh, other customers there. Um, somewhere towards the late 2000s, you know, the internet bubble happened and um, I started getting uh, very much involved with internet servers and web servers and integrating you know, um, integrating systems with the web and putting banks online and doing all that. I became a real pain in the butt for some people here uh, when I was pushing them around features and functionality in, in our web server platform. Because <laughs> at the time, I was trying to do transactional, um, you know, updates to multiple databases without a transaction coordinator and stuff like that. So I was actually quite a sort of a vocal advocate for some features and capabilities. And sometime in 2000, um, the guy who all the web stuff here essentially said look look just shut up or come and fix it and i took him at his word and um i came over here in the year 2000 and um worked on that platform for a while and through various other jobs i um ended up landing uh the group program manager of performance for windows 7 you know, after a few years of doing that stuff that's, and that was, uh, that's quite an important role right because uh, windows vista didn't have great performance so there there was a real need to uh, to work on performance with windows 7 huh 
That's right. They tricked me. In fact, you know, the job they had told me and the job that I actually interviewed for was to lead the performance team for server. Um, and, you know, a couple of weeks into the job, I mean, you know, it was, it was all totally virtuous in the sense that it was like, look, you know, we had a lot of work to do. Um, uh, stuff with Vista hadn't gone the way we'd wanted it to go. And um, it was a situation where it's like, look, you know something about this, get engaged, do some work. So I became the group program manager for performance. Um, uh, through that release, I stayed on and did that job um, all the way through Windows 8. And then I've done a few other bits and pieces here and there. And then in early 2014, um, um, we reorganized into what's called the Windows and Devices Group. And um, I was asked to be the director of program management for what we call the fundamentals team, which is the, the team that I um, lead today. And that's where in February of 2014, I stood in front of um, the leadership with, um, uh, you know, my boss at the time. His name is Gabe Ball, which a lot of people know in the world. And we pitched um, an idea around, hey, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could um, – give uh, an early view of the latest, greatest stuff that we're building to um, our best fans. Uh, and that was essentially the genesis of what turned into the Insider program. In, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I guess looking back and, um, you know, I, I remember, you know, interactions with Microsoft in various forms over over a fairly, fairly long period, including doing some uh, some work in uh, Microsoft New Zealand uh, here in the um, in the in the ninth, sort of earlyish nineties, and uh, you know, I remember there being you know varying builds of of new software sort of coming out across the the network. Now it wasn't probably particularly sophisticated what the processes were there uh, to get those builds onto uh, onto computers, but I imagine. Imagine this: uh, the Insider program was sort of almost a um, just a massive expansion of what was already happening internally. Did you already have a, uh, a process to ensure that staff would be trying out the uh, the new versions of uh, of Windows? That I guess there would be what daily builds of Windows com- coming out internally. Yes, absolutely. Um, we, we, for, for a very, very long time, we've always had an internal, inside the engineering team to be, to be very specific, um, we've always had essentially, you know, the dailies, um, machines get updated all the time, you know, different, you know, this is usually driven on a cadence depending on the engineer and what the specific engineer is trying to do. Um, if a device driver developer is in the middle of debugging some complicated device code, um, they're probably not taking the, the you know, the, the very very latest build because in the middle of a debug session, but for us, yes, it's it's been part of our culture for like decades. Yeah. Um, okay. The the big change for us was okay. How do we do this at scale? And um, we want to we wanted to be able to do this. I mean, I remember sitting down with the team. It was probably in February and March of 2014, and sort of said, "Look, you know, what would we have to build if we wanted to be able to send builds out to the world?" on a daily basis, not that we're at that point, or I'm not sure that we want to be at that point right now. Um, but, you know, what would it take? And, um, you know, for us, you know, the ability to sort of, you know, pretty much automate the whole process all the way from, you know, the product is compiled in its final release branch to um, the point where it's actually staged on Windows Update. 
and you know Windows Update and the client operating system are aware of, hey, this individual is an insider. Therefore, um, I do something special in this case. Well, not special. I'm doing something. It's very much typical, but I'm doing it frequently, and I'm doing. I'm yeah, I'm, I'm looking at very specific content for that individual. Um, so, so that was, you know, that was the big thing. Um, and then I remember it was probably May of 2014 where um, I stood in front of the engineering leaders and sort of said, here is the plan um, where we also presented early versions of the feedback tool um, and the systems we were going to build to basically get this out there. And then in um, the go live was late September of 2014, which was a fun. That was a that was a busy time in my life. I got to say, I can um, imagine because that's uh, you. You're really <laughs> ramping up very very quickly there. You must have got sign off from uh, uh, from the bosses that be within Microsoft pr- pretty quickly on this concept of uh, you know opening up access to um, these early builds and, and early features to the public. How, how did uh, how did that go with actually selling it internally? What was the response well to be honest i mean like the um terry myerson and his set of leaders were very keen for us to have a a feedback loop that was not uh, you know so a feedback loop that allowed us to have feedback while we were building the product and be able to um, react to that feedback. Um, so, you know, from a leadership perspective, um, it, it wasn't a massive tough sell. Some of the things were a tough sell around, you know, the way we were going to implement. And, you know, there's always this sort of fine line around, you know, from a philosophical point of view, hey, how much do we show? Is there stuff we hold back? You know, all of those sort of things. Um, but, when we, you know, we sort of built the system, I felt like I had or like as much support as I needed to go off and do this. And then when we sat down with the leadership, probably about 10 days before we were going to go live, funny little story, it was, uh, you know, originally, you know, we, I, you know, we'd sat down with the data science people and we sort of said, okay, how many people do we need to be part of this program? And um, the data science guys were like, well, you know, somewhere between 200,000 and 400,000 people um, gives you a statistically significant um, sample. Um, Ten days before we were going live, you know, the websites were ready, the code was in the product, blah, blah, blah. Um, Terry was like, you guys are nuts. Do it for everyone. <laughs> you know, don't close it down. Don't leave it. You know, let's not have a situation where we've got a, like this finite group. Um, and we were like, okay, thank you. That's uh, quite a big, that would be quite a big change, wouldn't it? To um, to, to handle yes. from a you know you 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 need a lot of uh, a lot of infrastructure to be able to uh, to push out these updates on a much more regular basis than is the the norm, right? Which is what every you know six months or so. That's true. I mean, like we, I, I must say, you know, coming out of that, we were. Um, we had really good poker faces on and we sort of went back to our offices and then just kind of freaked out a little bit. Um, and, but um, the, the beauty was that the system, the, you know, the technologists that put it all together, you know, we had essentially used, you know, very scalable technology. You know, a big component of the system is Windows Update. Um, all of the services and all of the, the sort of systems that we rely on, you know, you know, even at the time, we built them on Azure. 
So we were able to, you know, I remember sending this funny email to Scott Guthrie and saying, uh, Scott, uh, you know how we asked about this much capacity? How would you feel about giving us 10 times that amount and doing that in the next week or so? Um, and Scott Guthrie being the, uh, the awesome human being he is was like, no problem. I got you. I got you down. He dispatched people. Uh, they code reviewed our services. They looked for any kind of scalability challenges. Um, everything was kind of sweet. So really, at the end of the day, the biggest change we had to make was some of the verbiage on the website and the way that the, some of the web, the initial registration website worked. Right, because that, it was going to be quite limited capacity. Um, from yeah. the other public were being were being told that that they would you know jump in and maybe be in a queue or something. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, you know, come back later and slots open up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, we pushed the button on, we announced the program, I think it was October. Uh, September 29 in 2004 and then I think it was October 1st when we first released Windows 10 the pre-release to the world and um, and then it all started from there and you know today we're at the point where we have insiders in every country in the world we verified that piece of data a little while ago um, and we're, we're pretty consistently releasing uh, something on a weekly basis um, and um, you must have I, some I mean, int- interesting statistics there. If you've got people from every country in the world, um, there are some parts of the world who um, probably not downloading it uh, very quickly. I'm, I'm trying to think of uh, you know North Korea and you know varying other parts of the world whose uh, uh, internet is probably somewhat different from uh, from what most of us are, uh, are used to. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, like I have seen. I remember this is going back a, a little while, but. I remember we were looking at the 90th percentile of some of the download times. And for some folks, it would be days. It would take either 23 hours or multiple days. I can't remember the actual number to actually get all the bits down. But, you know, these people persevered and they got them and then they, they kept sort of running forward with the bits. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, and it's, it's sort of fascinating. I mean, we've got insiders in Antarctica. I mean, I guess, you know, it's a long winter over in Antarctica. You might as well, you know, kick the tires on a piece software and stuff like that so yeah it's it's great actually it's um it's terrific to sort of get feedback from all parts of the world it's very very cool actually yeah well you know i think people uh, you know there's a there's a lot of a lot of people who are quite happy to wait for the public release of a, a product but this concept of allowing people to to jump on somewhere uh, closer to the bleeding edge of where the product's at from a development uh, cycle is is really pretty interesting to to people but of course with that come some risks and I guess there's risks both for uh, a user that's you know jumping on board with it if a you know new feature or you know capability isn't quite complete what that impact is and there's a risk from uh, your perspective from a Microsoft perspective you roll something that uh, maybe doesn't work right you know how uh, how people will feel about that how it'll impact uh, Microsoft's reputation and I guess on the other side if you've got new features maybe you're, you're showing off before they're public uh, or before traditionally they would be public um, that you're letting the cat out of the bag a little bit for uh, maybe some of your competition to uh, to look at. Although I think you've got some uh, some capabilities there to hold hold features back, haven't you? Where where appropriate? Yeah, actually, that's a multifaceted question. Um, yeah, I, like going to the first thing around the risk side, uh, we have done things to um, uh, help. Uh, insiders manage the risk. Um, we have this, you know, we have this notion of concentric rings where 
the bits when they hop off, you know, once they've been compiled, uh, they hop off into what's called the canary ring. They get promoted is the word we use to our canary ring. The canary ring is essentially us. You know, we are the canaries in the coal mine and, um, you know, the, the builds that come into the canary ring have gone through a, a pretty you know, fantastic suite of automated testing. But that's what they've had. They've had automated validation. They've had use cases run across them, um, you know, component-based testing, some integration testing. That's all completely automated. Um, you know, that happens straight after the build is compiled. Um, and, and then once something, you know, from an automated perspective passes all those tests, um, you know, we promote it into Canary. It stays in Canary for a little while. And there are a few hundred people over here in Redmond um, and actually probably some other parts of the world too, actually, um, part of Microsoft, but our internal network, who are pulling down those Canary builds. And, you know, they know that they're running in a, you know, you know, the builds can be rocky sometimes. Stuff might not work. I mean, you know, Wi-Fi might not work. You know, you know, it is, it is, you know, raw code, code that's been through quite a lot of testing. Actually, it it takes quite a lot of automated testing and um, work for code to sort of propagate its way into the main branch in the first place. Okay. Uh, it doesn't just it doesn't get just get checked in there. Um, it gets checked into other branches and then all sorts of uh, what we call uh, reverse integration criteria have to run automated testing and validation on those bits even to get into the main branch uh, because we're a, you know we're a 5,000 person engineering organization um, and you really can't afford for big catastrophic things to sort of impact the productivity of thousands of engineers no, no. Um, yeah but 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 so when stuff when stuff sort of comes through into that canary ring it lives there for a little while and then we have this other ring called the self host ring which is the majority of the engineering organization over here in wdg um and that's everyone that's you know like, what's wdg um, stand for oh sorry uh the windows and devices group of course excellent um which is, you know, everything to do with Windows, um, one core based products. Uh, it includes HoloLens. It includes Xbox. It includes um, the Surface devices. You know, it's you know, it's a pretty large organization. Um, so, so then those bits go to us, and then they spend. You know, we use them for a few days. You know, they're flooded down pretty aggressively onto all of our machines, and then um, I have a meeting. I have some people in my team who run what's called the flight operations meeting, and they're kind of you know think of them like you know they're the control tower for all the um, the software flights that are going around into these various rings, uh, and they look at you know the the data coming out, the aggregated uh, health data and scenario data around, you know, hey, does this build meet the bar that we've set for propagation out to the insiders? And then once it goes there, you know, it goes to what we call the fast ring. Now, the original, your original question was around uh, levels of risk. Um, there is a level of risk through the Windows, you know, fast insiders. Um, it's not as risky as what we live on a day-to-day basis, but, you know, hey, you know, we're the ones who have to, you know, work through that risk before we can sort of give it to people outside. But then um, we also have another ring after that called the slow ring. And these names are, these names came up very, very, um, we didn't put a lot of thought into the names. I don't like the names. <laughs> I feel like I'm kind of stuck with the names because people, people know what they mean. So it's sort of hard to change when something's out there. But anyway, the slow ring is a little bit different. There's, you know, we service the slow ring and the slow ring is for, um, engineers that want to be current. They don't want to be as, um, 
well, I shouldn't say engineers, um, insiders that want to be um, current, but they don't want to be on the sort of the leading edge of builds. Um, we give them the slow update. So, for example, we sent out a slow update last week. Um, and with the slow builds, we also service those. So if there's something particularly problematic in one of the slow builds, um, you know, we will, you know, we'll build patches and we'll send those out. Um, but we've also, uh, probably about four or five months ago, we also built out what we call the release preview ring. The release preview is running the shipped OS. So, you know, today in the release preview ring, um, it's actually running the anniversary update. Um, we've moved on to, you know, um, what we call the active branch or the development branch. But the anniversary update, you know, the, the RTM bits for the anniversary update are there. And when you're in the release preview ring, you see um, the updated apps. You see the pre-release bits of apps and drivers from, you know, like if you're interested, if you're a gamer and you want to see what's coming with uh, NVIDIA and other GPU drivers and stuff like that, you can see that stuff in the release preview ring. So, you know, we've got this sort of spectrum of um, different places where people can um, put their devices and, you know, there's different levels of risk. My goal is to make the slow ring and everything after that be a place that um, enthusiasts can uh, basically put their device and stay there and feel like, you know, they can sort of do their daily work on those devices. That's good. Now... Being, uh, you know, in the canary uh, ring and getting these things uh, very early, you would be, um, you know, potentially if there was an issue with one of those, you could be hit from a productivity perspective. So how do you address that in terms of seeing where things are at, giving you options? Do you have multiple devices at home? Do you have multiple Xboxes? Do you have an Xbox that gets the Canary Ring and another Xbox that's sort of on the on the standard version? What about your uh, your phones? I'm, uh, I'm presuming you, uh, you run a, a Windows phone or two or, or three. T- tell us about the devices that, that you operate. What does that look like for you and how do you, how do you cope with all these versions? Yeah, I have a myriad of devices. Um, I shouldn't say myriad. Uh, I have, um, I'm staring at my, what looks like an eight-year-old desktop machine. Um, and it runs on the self-host ring. Uh, it's my, it's, you know, think of it as a desktop. I've got two 24s. Um, it doesn't do touch. It's got a clunky old mouse. And, you know, I God knows what processor the thing is running. I'm sure um, it's not eight years old. It actually is. Really? Um, I, I remember. I remember building this PC back in the early days of eight, uh, Windows Eight, actually. Um, and at the time, my team was working up, working on the, um, working on the. We changed the way that the operating system started up in Windows Eight. Um, we went from a traditional boot to uh, um, like you know relying on Hibernate technology to um, it, we just initialized the device drivers and then re, re, um, you know resumed the Hibernated kernel of the operating system and then we initialized essentially the log on and the shell on top of that. Right, and so I remember speed things up. Yeah, and I remember building this machine so that I could, you know, like, you know, run, you know, run through those. I was, it was time for me to have another machine. And that's why, for some reason, I remember this dinosaur and how it all got built. But, um, my daily driver, my Surface Book, um, is running on the Canary Ring. Um, and, uh, what else do I have at home? At home, I've got, uh, uh, what is it? It's a Samsung laptop. Uh, and that guy is running on the Canary Bits. 
in terms of phones, geez, I've got right now. I'm staring at three phones. Um, my daily driver is a 950 XL. Um, it lives on the Canary Ring, and I've got an HP Elite, the new HP Elite. That's um, that's a cell phone device, and then I've got another 950, which is also on Canary as well. Because um, sometimes I just like to sort of switch between them, and it's nice to have two phones because I can I can put stuff that my team is working on specifically on one of the phones that hasn't actually gone to the rest of the engineering organization. Um, so you know that tends to be the stuff that I sort of run in terms of Xboxes. We have one; um, it's under my. Sun's complete and utter control. I'm not allowed to touch it. I'm not allowed to go anywhere near it. Um, so that device is doing whatever my boys want it to do. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's our role. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's that's yeah. Re- that's yeah. really interesting. So, yeah. So um, yeah, quite quite a quite a process really to um, to get all the bits and pieces uh, out to out to people. Obviously, something that um, was, you know, a big, big project to to achieve. Now that it's running, does that now just sort of tick over, or is there uh, is there much that you have to do to, uh, um, you know, make make sure that it continues working well? Um. Well, yeah, we've got some pretty big plans. It's not. It's certainly not a, a maintenance mode project. Um, there is so much we can do, and we're always uh, advancing the state of the art in terms of the way we analyze data and analyze feedback, etc. One of the big things we want to do for the next little while is um, make it easier for uh, businesses to take advantage of the Insider program. Today, you know, we have. Uh, we have a requirement that people that become insiders have got to use their Microsoft ID. Right. And we use that Microsoft ID to authenticate and um, the feedback hub itself actually relies on the Microsoft ID to also authenticate and sort of know where the feedback is coming from and all that sort of stuff. Um, well, you know, Microsoft ID in the context of a business with a domain or a directory sort of becomes a little bit problematic. You know, you know, you don't want to be asking people, you know, on the, you know, in their work environment to be putting in their personal Microsoft accounts. So, you know, we're making a series of investments to make it easier for those businesses to take advantage. So, for example, um, we're doing work to integrate with the kind of authentication systems uh, like a business or a corporation will have. Um, one of the other things we've heard very clearly from a lot of our customers is that, hey, you know, we'd like to be able to run a few machines uh, running inside of builds in our organization. But, you know, I'd also, you know, I'm the admin. I'm responsible for all these machines and these these people's work. Um, I'd like to have some policy control in terms of when do those devices flight? Um, who am I going to opt in? Um, those kind of things. So, you know, adding in, you know, group policy and MDM controls is something that's important to us, work that we're sort of working through. And then finally, you know, you know making sure that people can authenticate against the feedback hub using their corporate credentials as well. So the idea that, you know, an organization can onboard themselves into the program and then they have control around people running these insider builds. And for us, I mean, that becomes um, really valuable in the sense that it gives organizations an opportunity to, to give us um, great feedback in terms of their own environment and their specific challenges around the product that's coming, the thing that we're building. Um, it uh, gives us the ability, you know, if there is a problem or a compat issue, um, 
you know, through the use of the feedback hub, you know, that organization can actually give us actionable logs and data that we can use to debug through those problems, um, which, you know, makes it a lot easier for that company later on um, to sort of move forward so that, you know, you know, you know, fixing the thing while we're in the development phase versus fixing something that once we've actually sort of, you know, released the product. Um, and um, yeah, yeah, I think that's you know, really advantageous to companies. For us as well, that also gives us the opportunity. Sorry, uh, I sort of jump in. This is a relevant point. Um, we've just released something. Actually, we released something a couple of months ago called Upgrade Analytics uh, that came out of our compatibility organization. And the Upgrade Analytics tool is also a nice thing. Um, for organizations to sort of, you know, to opt into and to use. Um, and the Upgrade Analytics tool is cool in the sense that it took, it takes the sort of the big data and the learnings in our compact database from, you know, the work that we did to upgrade 400 million machines in the world. Um, and it builds a custom picture for that org uh, around, you know, hey, you know, these are the things that are, these are the compatibility challenges or the apps you want to remunerate or here are the websites that are mostly used in your organization. And a company or, or an administrator gets the opportunity to run uh, a utility across the machines that they want to be part of this, you know, the collection. Um, and then we provide the the view of the the data specific to that org so that that company can go away and make some decisions about its upgrade um, and what apps it needs to go and deal with and what apps are working versus, you know, apps that they might want to go and talk to the vendor about. So it's actually quite uh, a useful, handy uh, set of uh, investments. Yeah, I think I mean, that sounds pretty important because, you know, the traditional uh, view, and, you know, I've mostly worked in sort of smaller to medium organizations, but... Looking at larger organisations, often they seem to be stuck, you know, X generation sort of behind with Windows and varying other uh, bits and pieces. And of course, Windows 10, you know, flips that on its head to a degree. Once people move into the Windows 10 world, uh, it's going to keep getting uh, getting updated. And of course, there are lots of organisations that obviously uh, aren't there with Windows 10 yet. But by by putting all these pieces together, I guess that uh, that gives confidence to organisations actually to stay stay current, which. Uh, in the past was just not an, a normal thing for organizations to be at with their software and of course that created issues in terms of productivity they didn't have access to all the latest features security and 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 so on so um that that sounds Absolutely. pretty pretty good so how um is it a big process to sort of roll out i guess what you're talking about with um with the insider program is making it you know really friendly to uh, uh to large organizations or organizations of all sizes really is that a, is that going to be a big process to you know put new features in there and and really get that um, um, up and up and running so that they can uh, they can jump on board um you know, th- there is something to it. I mean, I don't think it's a big process. I mean, the feedback investments that we have, the feedback app itself is, an, is a store-based app. So once we update the app to have, you know, authentication capabilities, it's up in the store, the new one comes down and, you know, that, that capability lights up. Um, the Some of the, the flighting controls and the policy-based uh, work, um, that's going to need the next 
major rev of um, you know windows to sort of light that stuff up. But I mean, like you know, you guys you guys have seen what sort of cycle we're on, I and mean, you know we're working hard to get that out as soon as we can, um, in the sense of you know the right timelines for the business and for our customers, etc. So it's you know, you know a lot of the stuff is going to light up soon. Some of it is coming, um, it, but if people want to want to like take those insider builds into their organizations. Essentially, once we get that feature and functionality up and running and working, you know, they just basically take that build from the development branch and they can essentially stand that up in their environments and they can get started pretty quickly. The upgrade analytics stuff, that's out there today. Um, there's a bunch of content we have on our websites um, that helps uh, people that are running in Windows 7 and Windows 8 environments uh, get a bootstrap. Um, and, you know, what do they need to do in terms of, you know, running the data collection across the machines and their organization um, and how they sort of subscribe to the portal so that they can actually look at the data and do the analysis and sort of get their list of apps, etc. We also have a resource that goes along with all of that, which we call the, the it's the Ready for Windows website. And the Ready for Windows website is driven by telemetry from our systems, our compat-based data. Um, so anyone can sort of go to the Ready for Windows website and sort of say, hey, I've got this commercial app, and we can sort of look up whether that, that app has got lots of coverage and works fine on Windows 10 right now versus, you know, whether it hasn't got as much coverage versus we haven't seen that app at all. So, you know, there's a, there's a number of resources we're, you know, we're sort of pulling together to help um, IT pros and companies sort of move forward, as well as to, you know, help insiders advance a little bit more as well. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, I mean, looking at, at that picture of, of organizations getting, you know, stuck on, on old versions of software for, for, you know, all sorts of reasons and often compatibility as, as, as part of it. Um, do, do you think that we're, we're pretty close to a point where, uh, those sort of compatibility issues will, um, will disappear to a large degree? You know, if, if, if most software developers get their software so it works well with sort of, well, with Windows 10, um, in the years ahead as, as things progress, are we, are we likely to be in a position where organizations can then be pretty relaxed about getting, uh, getting updates? Without uh, varying software products breaking, or does that come come down to how how well the software's uh, you know being being developed in the first place? I guess that's always part of the picture, isn't it? Yeah, I, I mean, like, you know, there's, I mean, you could break this down into multiple different sort of answers. I mean, you know, for us, you know, Windows 10 is the most compatible operating system we've ever shipped. Um, and we have a pretty massive investment, hundreds of people literally, um, in the compatibility of the operating system moving forward. Uh, and that means daily, in fact, it's sort of funny, my, my compat guys, you know, the sun never sets on compat. We, we have three centers of people around the world which are working on um, operating system compatibility on a on a daily basis as the builds go out there you know there's all these validation runs there's manual investigations that go on so for us you know compat doesn't stop um, quite often but compat stuff can tend to be the way apps have been written um, you, you know there are there are ways that developers can sort of you know code outside of the APIs or do things sort of under the covers depending on what they're kind of doing which can actually impact the compatibility of a piece of software um, having said that though you know one of the things that I tend to see quite a lot 
is the apps work just fine. It's more of a, you know, the ISV, the software vendor, um, you know, hasn't sort of updated their policies and haven't sort of said, hey, look, I'm ready to move. So we, uh, you know, I'm uh, sorry, I'm ready to support this new version of Windows 10. So that's one of the things we spend quite a lot of time on in terms of working with major vendors around the world to, um, you know, make sure that, you know, their support statements are in place. If they've got concerns, what can we do in terms of, um, you know, helping them move forward? But, you know, we see, we see the app use, we know, or not the app use, we see, we see compatibility information about apps and versions, and, you know, quite often it's more a case of just making sure that, um, you know, the local key vendors in a geography are saying, yep, you know, we are fine to have our version of our app running on this version of Windows 10. Yeah, that's good. And, you know, I think part of what will, what will help that is just the fact that as people move on to Windows 10, they're, they're just going to stay current now. So, uh, you know, in the past, a, a software developer could, could get away with sort of saying, oh, well, you know, you need, no, you need to be two versions back on Windows for this to work. Um, and now it's going to become much harder for for them to do. They, you know, they're going to have to put in um, you know time if uh, if they've you know coded something in that means it's not compatible with Windows that they'll have to fix it. And obviously, if there are things at the Microsoft end, that's that's what you guys will be looking uh, looking out for. I'm sure. Um, oh, absolutely. I mean, we, we, like it's sort of funny. It's amazing. Um, we agonise over. You know, API behavior changes and things like that. It's, it's just incredible the amount of time and effort we spend. Um, and then we like think a lot about like compatibility shims so that, you know, th- you know, there's this whole infrastructure in Windows, which, um, basically, you know, if something has to change, we try and make it so that apps that are working down level continue to work. Um, so that, you know, they, they don't have a change behavior so that everything keeps going. Uh, it's quite, I mean, think about it. We, you know, there are tens of millions of apps on this platform. Uh, it's an interesting, challenging, but fun engineering job. Good. And mm. um, where to from? Where to from here with your your team? What's uh, what's next? Ah, oh, well. Um, some interesting stuff for um, the folks in New Zealand. Um, there's um, the Ignite uh, conference that's happening in a few weeks in, in New Zealand. Two of the members of my team, Donna, Donna Saka, and uh, Catherine Holdsworth. Uh, Donna is the, the head of the Insider program. She's going to be at the Ignite conference um, talking, as will Kath. Kath, uh, um, who is a Kiwi, she's a New Zealander too. Yeah, that's um, cool. Which makes it interesting when the all, when the rugby's on. I mean, like, I get, you know, I kind of skip my one-on-ones with Kath the week that the rugby's on because... <laughs> I get Australians and All Blacks, and uh, you know, I don't think our record's been all that great lately. Anyway, well, well, uh, well ours has. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's why. That's why I kind of avoid my one-on-ones with Kath those weeks. Anyway, um, Kath will be down there as well, um, and she heads up the. Um, she's the group program manager of the flighting and feedback team. So a lot of that infrastructure that I just talked about um, is stuff that you know she and her team go away and build. Um, so yeah, so you know, I think that's you know that's coming, that's sort of imminent. Um, and then you know we are we're sort of busily you know building and working on the next release of Windows 10. Good. That's we got going. Yeah. 
Um, and so, what what might we expect um, from Ignite New Zealand? Anything you can uh, you can give us a, a heads up on? What what would uh, uh, Donna and uh, and Kath be, uh, be be having to share? Well, uh, Donna and Kath will be talking about the genesis of the program, where we're going. They're probably going to elaborate on some of my comments around um, some of the investments we're making into the future around the program. Um, and, uh, you know, I think part of the talk is also uh, one of the things we sort of realized that, um, you, you know, for us or any major organization, um, you've got to work with your customers you you know this this notion that co-creation is no longer optional you know you have to co-create i mean like for us this whole journey certainly for me personally this whole journey around you know standing up the insider program um and opening the doors to our engineering process and essentially in many ways bringing um you know the enthusiasts that we have the fans that we have um into you know, into our engineering process um, has been like quite eye-opening around, you know, the way that, uh, you know, a 21st century business works and how you build stuff. You've got to build it hand in hand with the people that are using the thing. Um, So, Kath and uh, Donna will probably be elaborating a little bit more on um, our experiences there. And basically, we've distilled down a couple of thoughts around you know the kinds of things you should be anyone even a small it shop should be thinking about in terms of bringing their customers in and hearing them and how we organized internally to make that happen uh it's gonna be cool it's gonna be a cool event good good now with all that feedback that you get back through the windows insider program i mean how many how many users have you you got now it's it's a pretty big number with the windows insider program right uh, it's sort of it's sort of interesting. I mean, like I tend to focus more on um, how many people are sort of using a set of builds. We have uh, the number of insiders now are in the millions, um, you know, many millions, um, and so we. You know, like you know, we just spend a lot of our time building systems to process a lot of that feedback. There's a lot of uh, machine learning and pattern matching that goes into it, um, and it's sort of interesting. The the feedback hub itself, um, you know, it's like it's the tip of the iceberg of this big feedback machine. Um, so, you know, for me, one of the key things is how quickly can we get the feedback to the right place and route it to the right place and, you know, have the champions internally, you know, go and champion the voice of our customers so that the right things start to happen. You know, I think and that's one of the big, big things we tend to sort of focus on nowadays. It's one of the big things that's on my mind in terms of how do we get smarter. And there's some interested, interesting, cool, um, you know, machine processing stuff that actually goes on when you've got that much feedback, you know, tens of thousands, if not more items coming in on a daily basis. You know, our engineering team is not that big. Um, so <laughs> you can't read all of them in, in person. So, yeah, you, you, absolutely. You it's, it's, it's all about having that artificial intelligence to know how to um, how to process and, um, and and deal with those things and actually right. uh, get them through. Oh, that's good. So, so the, all oh. of those things sort of break down and then do you actually read some of those individual, the individual ones when, you know, when a particular area gets it's highlighted as being important. Uh, will engineers then actually go and, and look at some of the individual feedback at that point? Oh yeah, I mean we have um, 
kind of giving away some of the talk uh, that um, Kath and Donna are going to do. Um, but we have um, what's termed uh, a role here in the engineering organization, which is called the community champ. And the community champ role is they're an engineer um, and they might own an area of the product. You know, for example, we've got a community champ for the Groove app or for the Photos app. And the community champs are, are focused in on all of the data and the feedback that's coming into that area. So everything that's sort of routed into Groove, you know, okay, what is all of that? Hey, is it duplicated? And of course, you know, we've got systems that try and auto duplicate stuff um, and pinpoint things that are trending inside, you know, that area. And then the community champ basically sort of looks at those things and their role is to amplify things into the team, you know, to essentially become the voice of the insiders on aggregate to the team. And then when the team has actually done work or changed something or releasing a new feature to amplify the message out to the insider audience and to the audience in general. Um, so we organize for that. And there's, you know, you know, I think right now we're in the hundreds of community champs across the organization who are, you know, all taking a piece of the puzzle and sort of working it through. But even then, um, you know, like they could never go and look at every single um, piece of feedback. That's where um, the whole upvoting idea is super important to us too. Because with upvoting, that's a, a great signal to us that um, this area is hot and, you know, it helps us with some of our trending algorithms and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, no, that that's very good. And and I guess mm. the public can also sort of see, you know, where they are. If they think their idea is the best thing since sliced bread or something that's really important to them, uh, but no one else is voting for them, they sort of get, maybe get a little bit of an, an, an idea from seeing what's, uh, you know, what's, uh, what's popular uh, in terms of the things that you'll be taking the most interest of. That's right. Yeah. That's totally right. Yeah. Hey, that's great. Um, thank you, Bill. Um, really appreciate your time. Is there anything else that you wanted to uh, add in before we finish up? Oh, uh, just um, thank you. And um, it's been great to have the opportunity to go and um, talk to your audience. And um, look, if you're not an insider right now, give it a spin. Join up, insider.windows.com. Excellent, excellent. And where can people track you down? You're you're on Twitter, aren't you? A few people like I to am on, uh, jump on Twitter. I am, I am on Twitter. Um, my handle is at BillCar44. Um, in case you're wondering, I'm a Formula One nut. 44 is Lewis Hamilton's number in Formula One, who happens to be the reigning world champion. But anyway, I didn't say all that. Um, yes, yeah, so feel free to follow me and, um, yeah, uh, you know, and ping me on Twitter. Excellent, excellent. That's good. We'll uh, we'll we'll look forward to um, uh, hearing from uh, from Donna and uh, and Kath uh, at Ignite in New Zealand. Sounds great. Thank Brilliant. you. Thanks for your time, Bill. Cheers. Bye. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.